0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series in the book of Matthew called The Mysteries of Compassion. So turning your Bibles to Matthew 15, verses 29 to 39, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Crumbs from the Master's Table.
1: Let me speak plainly. I'm a Gentile. I have no natural inheritance in the vine of our Lord. I am a wild branch that was grafted into the vine. I am, as Paul reminds me, an alien to the ancient covenant God made with his people. I mean, what can I do to claim a part in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Was King David my king? When God sent his angel to deliver Israel from the land of slavery and to give them the promised land, did any of my ancestors have a part in that? I answer no to all of that. I have no natural inheritance in the vine of our Lord. I'm a stranger to the promise. And yet in Jesus, a wall of separation that has kept me from the people of God has been broken down. I, who was once far away, have been brought near. You know, I'll get to why I'm saying what I'm saying, but suffice it now to say that I often reflect on the miracle of that. But let me also tell a story of what I remember from attending a prayer meeting. The church I was pastoring had become... It was a bit of a mini UN, great many Mandarin and Cantonese and Koreans and Iranians and Russians and Arabic speakers and Romanians and more. And at a prayer meeting, a woman once said, I don't know why they can't find their own church. <laughs> you know, I didn't respond like a 21st century person charging her with racism, although I could have. You know, I find those racism charges often harsh and overbearing. But I did ask her if she ever marveled that, not they, but she, had been included in the community of the Messiah. Don't marvel that they're here. Marvel more, I said, that you're here. And learn to love people who you think don't belong, remembering that's what Jesus did to you. I share that story not to embarrass anyone, but to make a point. I find it interesting that at some point in time, the wonder of Gentiles being included among the community of the Messiah, well, wonder simply wears off and it's replaced by something else. And that something else is, you know, that I'm not a Gentile after all. Maybe I'm a Jew and the others are the Gentiles. I wonder if you know that the white settlers in South Africa at one point in time began to think of the native blacks as Canaanites who must be subjugated. You know, how quickly they forgot that they were the Gentiles. Or some of you who know the heresy that occasionally floats around, it's called the idea of British Israelism. You know, this is the belief that the British people are the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Ah, now the British aren't Gentiles after all. Or did you know that in Utah, the Mormons often call themselves Jews and refer to others as Gentiles. I mean, they'll, they'll even refer to Jews as Gentiles, and one just has to sigh. So many false teachers refuse to recognize the unique nature of God's covenant with the people of Israel, and then they just assume that they, in their own experience, can repeat what was done once and for all for God's chosen people. You know, in the earlier part of Matthew 15, we follow Jesus leaving the region of Galilee, and he was traveling to the Gentile region of Tyre and Sidon. There he met a Canaanite woman and in dramatic fashion prefigured his great love for the Gentiles. All she had wanted, she said, is for a small crumb of grace to fall from the table of the sons of Israel onto the floor, for that crumb would be enough to heal her daughter. That woman knew who she was. She was a stranger to the covenant of promise, and yet she also knew that the God of Israel was the true God, and Jesus was Israel's Messiah. And yet, were there not crumbs of bread that would fall from his table? And of course, Jesus merely said the word, and her daughter was instantly delivered from a demon. A bread crumb from his table hit the floor. And so, with that as an introduction, let me read today's text, and it's found in Matthew 15, verses 29 to 39. It says, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. A great crowd came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Now, if you've been following this series in Matthew, or even if you've read through the book of Matthew, you might have wondered about this event. We have, just in the last chapter, read the account of the feeding of 5,000, and this one sounds eerily similar. And critics of the Bible have often said that Matthew included two accounts because people in his day forgot the details, and it was now a few decades later, and one had different details about what happened. I mean, was it 5,000 or was it 4,000? And this is at least what the critics imagine. They imagine that Matthew, along with Mark, just got confused— And so they just assumed that these events happened twice. You know, if we listen to the critics, we won't understand what's actually going on in the feeding of the 4,000. Now, of course, the details between the two miraculous feeding accounts, well, they do have amazing similarities. Jesus multiplied the bread in both accounts. He fed a large group of people with just a few resources. And in both accounts, we're told the number of men, leading us, of course, to guess the size of the complete crowd. And in both accounts, bread is left over, filling basketfuls of leftover bread. But if all we see here are you know, two eerily similar accounts, well, we're gonna miss something quite significant. So let's start at the beginning. Matthew tells us that Jesus has just left the region of Tyre and Sidon, and now he's back to the Sea of Galilee. But unlike before, he doesn't give us the exact location, and he leaves it to the reader to discover for himself or herself, where he is. So, let's examine the text closely. First, we notice this section begins with Jesus going up on a mountain and sitting down, and then the crowds gather to him. You know, in the feeding of the 5,000, the crowd had already been waiting for him as he got off the boat. So, here it's different. He sits down on a high place so his voice can be heard, and the people begin to gather. And this sitting on the mountain sounds very similar to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he goes up a hill, the crowds gather, and then he begins to teach. So I assume he's been teaching the crowd now, and after he's done, the healing ministry starts. It would seem in the feeding of the 5,000, the healing ministry began as soon as he stepped out onto the shore, but, but not so here. Now I know that sounds like a small difference, but please stay with me, I'm painting a picture. When Jesus starts to heal, Matthew mentions the blind, the lame, the crippled, the mute. You can almost imagine it. Blind people are now seeing and people unable to walk, either because, you know, of an injury or a congenital illness. Well, they're now walking and running freely about it. Mute people are speaking clearly. And then Matthew mentions the result. You know, the result is not insignificant because... If you had been a Jew in that day, you'd have recognized immediately what it is that Matthew's describing. Look at verse 31. It says, The crowd glorified the God of Israel. That's the only time in Matthew where the phrase, the God of Israel, is used. Now, is that important? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's a very telling statement. The phrase, God of Israel, is a phrase that's frequently used in the First Testament and it indicates that Israel's God is not to be confused with the God of the nations around them. But That phrase is only used three times in the entire New Testament. It's used here, and the second time it's in Luke 1, verse 68. That's where Zechariah praises the God of Israel for bringing salvation to his people and saving them from their Gentile enemies. And then the third time it's used, it's found in Acts 13, 17, where Paul is addressing a Gentile audience and they're in Antioch, in Pisidia, and he's explaining to Gentiles what he's talking about. He's he's talking about the God of Israel. So, at the very least, wherever that phrase is used, it's used to identify the God of Israel as opposed to the gods of the nations around them. So, under normal terms, a Jewish crowd would not have used that phrase. So, it seems likely then that this, yeah, I think it's a Gentile crowd. And that makes this account of the feeding of the 4,000 very, very interesting.
0: Truth In Life today has been a wonderful journey of ministry. So many thoughtful, insightful guests shedding light on challenging topics of Christian life. While now in 2020, we look forward to continuing Truth In Life today, but with a renewed purpose. This year, Truth In Life Today is becoming more personal, more interactive. Truth In Life Today videos, both archived and current, will be easily accessible through our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or at truthinlifetoday.com. How is it more personal, more interactive? Well, each episode will be designed around your personal Bible study or small group study with Dr. John Newfeld leading the way. And every episode will provide you with study notes available through truthandlife.today.com. So join us as we launch a new generation of Truth and Life Today. For more information or to support this ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.
1: Now, if I'm right that the healing and feeding of the 4,000 is a Gentile rather than a Jewish crowd, well, that would explain this situation perfectly. It would explain that this is a completely different crowd than the one that was mentioned earlier. When Jesus fed the 5,000, according to John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, well, John indicates that eventually Jesus' activity led to a dispute in which some said, is this not the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know? Well, no one says that here. Indeed, the outbursts of praise gives one a sense that this crowd is seeing these kinds of things for the very first time. Indeed, just prior to Mark's description of the feeding of the 4,000, Mark mentions that Jesus had gone to the region of the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis was on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and that word Decapolis, well, that refers to 10 Gentile cities in that region. And so we've got to assume that Jesus is in the Decapolis. Now suddenly we see how the account of Jesus, first in Tyre and Sidon, and then healing a woman's daughter, whom the disciples would have thought as a Gentile dog, and now he's healing in the Decapolis, Gentiles, and the crumbs that might be left over from the master's table, a table that was prepared for the people of Israel. Well, those crumbs are falling off his table in huge chunks. And the result, well, the Gentiles in the Decapolis are doing that which would not have been considered very likely just a little before this. They are praising the God of Israel. You know, I remember some time ago, it was a young man, he was of a a different religion, and he came to see me. Now, I had a lot of dealings with him before, and he just come by to talk and to see how I was. And I, for my part, was happy to see him. But in the course of a very friendly conversation, he opened up and told me, that he had put in an application to a very specialized program in university. He said it was really a hopeless act since he had already been told that it was very unlikely that he'd be accepted. And he was very downcast and he, he told me he just didn't know what his next step was going to be. Well, I offered to pray for him and he was grateful. And I prayed quite boldly in Jesus' name, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would bless this young man and open up a way for him to get into this program. And you might wonder why I did that, but on the next day, he came to me and he was beaming. I had been accepted, he said, and I, I just congratulated him, told him how happy I was for him. And then he said something I'm just never going to forget. He said, I know that it was your God who did this for me. Well, that's it. And of course, for three days, says Matthew, these healings of Jesus just continued. And people said, I know it was Israel's God who's doing this. So let's reread verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Well, unlike the crowd of 5,000, this crowd seems to have brought food when they came to see Jesus. But they long since run out. Meetings of Jesus had just gone on day after day and nobody wants to go home. These are remarkable times and eventually their food ran out. And Jesus tells the disciples he has compassion on them. And he says he's unwilling to send them away. Ah, there's the phrase again, send them away. Well, Jesus has heard the disciples use that phrase a number of times. And now he beats them to the punch. I'm not going to send them away. And one of the reasons why the critics of Matthew argue this couldn't have happened, well, it's because of verse 33. The disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? That is to say, having witnessed the feeding of the 5,000, how is it possible for the disciples to say, we've got no idea how are going to feed this large crowd? I mean, given that he's fed 5,000, you know, maybe six months earlier, and yet it's hard to forget such an amazing miracle. I mean, for the disciples to suggest they don't know how Jesus would feed such a crowd, well, it just seems like an impossible thing to say. It seems far more natural for them to ask, you know, Lord, are, are you suggesting that you do the same miracle that you did last spring? Well, that answer seems far more natural. And that is, it is difficult to understand until we remember, what, the context. These are Gentiles. The last crowd were Jews. And when John describes the feeding of the 5000 in his gospel, he ends by inviting that crowd to acknowledge that Jesus is the bread of life and that unless they feed on Jesus they will have no life that is no eternal life. Here Jesus is functioning as the Messiah. Unless they embrace him, unless they look to him for eternal life, they'll have none of it. Well, now that's an invitation for the crowds to do more than to come to him for healing. They're supposed to come to him for eternal life. He's inviting them into everlasting life. And that's what the feeding of the 5,000 meant. Jesus is the bread of life. And just to get into heaven, you have to feed on him. Well, now in the disciples' mind, it was impossible that Jesus would make the same offer to a group of Gentiles. I mean, it's one thing to have compassion on a demon-possessed Gentile child, or to give sight to a Gentile's blind eyes, but the invitation to eat the food of eternity, the invitation to the great banqueting hall in heaven for the Gentiles. You know, I I think it quite likely that the disciples had never even considered that as a possibility. I think they saw Jesus' grace for the Gentiles much like the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I mean, the Jews were the sons of the kingdom. They were invited to the feast of the king in the kingdom of heaven. That was to come. Yeah, they could see it now. Crumbs would fall from that table and bless the Gentiles. But should the Gentiles now be invited from the floor to take their place at the table as a full equal? I mean, crumbs are one thing. Providing the miracle of the breaking of bread for them. Well, that was more than they could have imagined. And that's why the disciples are puzzled about how to feed this crowd. It's not occurred to them what happens next. And this now is where the two accounts, that is, the account of the feeding of the Jews and the feeding of the Gentiles is so similar. Like before they find bread and fish, and like before Jesus gives thanks, breaks the bread as the disciples hand it out. And just a little side note here. In the feeding of the 5,000, we're told that there were 12 baskets left over. And here, well, there's only seven. Well, the word basket in the feeding of the 5,000, it's actually a different word than the one used here. The earlier crowd had 12 baskets, but would have been a basket big enough, let's say, to carry a baby. But this now is a large basket. You see, in Acts 9.25, Saul of Tarsus is now a new Christian, and there's a plot out to kill him. And Luke tells us that he escaped as some believers took him by night, and they let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him to the ground while he's what? In a basket basket. Now, that's a basket of a much larger size than one that could only hold a baby. It's a large basket that some call simply a hamper. And that's what's happened at the feeding of the 4,000. Seven large hamper-sized baskets are filled with food that's left over. At the very least, the blessings of the kingdom has come to the Gentiles, and it has come in just as large measure as it has come to the Jews. Now, as we think about the implications of this account, well, several things should be clear. First, please notice that at any point in time, Jesus can repeat a miracle that he's already done. And it's of great encouragement to everyone. It's not as if after he's blessed someone, he's unable to do the same thing for you. Jesus is able to repeat the same action over and over again. So, for instance, if you've been praying for your son or your daughter to come to Christ— and someone else tells you they've done the same and their son or daughter has come to Christ, don't you say, well, why, Lord, did you do it for them and not for me? Please take it to heart and recognize there's no lack of power in Jesus. What he's done for someone else, he can do for you. And second, notice also what the blessing of Jesus entails. He doesn't just bless us with healing. He invites us to his table He doesn't want us to simply grasp what falls from the table. He wants us to come to him so that we, once the enemies of God and Gentiles, according to the flesh, are welcomed in his great banqueting hall. And finally, please remember that our Lord is not a respecter of persons. The rich, the poor, the Jew, the Gentile, the educated and the illiterate, the socially well-connected and the social outcasts, all people, the free and the prisoners, are invited to his table. And with that, says Matthew, he sent the crowds away and he went to the region of Magadan. He had gone back to the territory of Galilee, back to the place of the Jews. But even though he was back, the disciples remembered what they had learned and no doubt, their heads were spinning. Just how great is this man named Jesus? Just who is invited to his banqueting table? Indeed, our heads should be spinning as well. The grace of God,
0: larger than we had imagined. I think it's interesting, you know, John, that we can look at these passages and look at the Gentiles and then forget that we're actually looking in a mirror. That's us. Yeah, that's us.
1: Yes. Uh, We who were, a very good friend, Pat Sabel has written a wonderful song. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. I mean, that's exactly it. We were the enemies of God. We have no part in the history of Israel. We were, you know, we were outside the covenant of grace. And Jesus comes along and opens a door and invites us to not only eat the crumbs from his table, but to sit at the banqueting table with him. I mean, how did we get there? The fact that we are able to forget our status and the grace of God, when we forget, we stop being gracious people ourselves. When we remember who we once were and what Christ has done, I don't think we can ever look at an outsider in the same way again. We can only look at an outsider as to saying, how can I make the grace of Jesus known to you so that you can also find your way at the master's table? I didn't belong there, and I found my way. See, all of that kind of thing just rings in my heart, Ben. This is kind of some of the favorite things that I love talking about, so
0: there it is. Thanks so much, John, and remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of Matthew, The Mysteries of Compassion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Imagine walking the very streets that Jesus walked or placing your foot into the Sea of Galilee. If experiencing the very places Jesus, Paul, David, and so many others lived and taught is something you've always wanted to do, then make plans to join Back to the Bible Canada for our 2021 Israel Experience. Consider this your personal invitation to join Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld. Laugh-Again's Phil Calloway and very special musical guests, along with the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team for a trip of a lifetime, April 11th to the 19th, 2021. Experience the sights, sounds, history, and culture of Israel, making the Bible come alive. And for those who'd like to extend their experience, we're also offering a Jordan extension. So to learn more or to register today, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca.